Hey everyone, in this episode, Pete Caputa, Databox CEO, chats with Carl Sakis, founder of Sakis & Company, a consulting firm that helps agencies work less and earn more. The two of them got together to talk about how high-performing agencies market themselves. This conversation was originally recorded for the Agency Life podcast by Teamwork.com. You'll learn why most agencies would fire themselves if they had themselves as a client, how much agencies are investing in their own marketing, what channels other agencies are investing in, and a ton more. I really hope you enjoy it, and a special thanks to our friends at Teamwork for sharing the episode. Check out their podcast, Agency Life, and visit them at teamwork.com to learn how you can manage your client work. What got us here won't get us there. You've probably heard that phrase before, and it probably couldn't feel more real than it does right now as we round out 2023. This year has been quite different, to say the least, for most agencies than it felt in 2021 and 2022 when it comes to your own sales, marketing, and all things new client acquisition. I actually just spoke with an agency owner friend of mine the other day that was used to closing five to 10 new deals each month. His team is now closing one every few months for the past few quarters. So that begs the question, are you going to keep doing more of the same or do something different in 2024? If you're in that ladder camp, then you're going to get some encouragement and some practical ideas to implement next year from today's guests, Pete Caputa and Carl Sakis. You probably already know, but in case you don't know them both, Pete is the CEO over at Databox, a business analytics platform that helps agencies provide transparent performance management to their clients. Carl is an author, speaker, consultant, and the founder of Sakis & Company, a consulting firm helping agencies work less and earn more. Their two organizations recently teamed up to survey over 200 agencies about their own marketing efforts, and the insights have been published ungated, I might add, in their new report, How High Performing Agencies Market Themselves. As we unpack this new report with Pete and Carl on today's episode, you'll hear why most agencies would fire themselves if they had themselves as a client, how much agencies are investing in their own marketing today. We're going to talk real numbers, what channels your peers are investing in, and Pete and Carl's advice for you to change the status quo in 2024. Remember, what got you here won't get you there. To kick things off, let's hear from Carl about the current situation revealed by their recent research that included more than 200 agency respondents. From the research we found across hundreds of agencies, agencies would be their worst own client. They are throwing things at the wall to see what'll stick. They aren't always dedicating enough time or money to their own marketing, especially relative to their growth goals. And the owner often is still getting involved as the CMO for their own marketing, even as the agency grows. Yeah. And I think the other thing we're going to be talking about, you alluded to it there. Oftentimes, there's not a systematic plan for how they're going to invest in marketing, what they're going to do, and how they're going to measure success. So it's kind of like strike one, strike two, strike three on, on all fronts. Am I right? For sure. And we, we also dug in in the research about what has higher versus lower ROI, referral yeah. investment, and some surprising results there. Yeah. Pete, when I hear you say that quote, obviously your history working with agencies goes far back in your career to building the partner program at HubSpot. 
Were you surprised when Carl said that and that was quoted fairly <laughs> high in the report? Or is it like, yeah, I, that, that makes a ton of sense to me? No, I built my career on a state that statement, really. Like when I started working with agencies, with a number of agencies in like 2009, I was pretty quick to see that very few of them marketed themselves. They were dependent on referrals mm -hmm. from clients and networking, word of mouth. They really, was really through you know, their reputation and some maybe a little bit of sales hustle that they got their business. And so when, you know, in 2009, when I was starting the HubSpot Partner Program, one of the things that we would talk to them about is the fact that they don't have a lead funnel. And if they don't have a lead funnel, they can't secure the type of clients that they want at the price point that they want. And so they need to do marketing themselves. It also worked out that we were convincing them to sell inbound marketing services. And therefore, they needed to kind of drink their own champagne, eat their own dog food, right? And demonstrate to their clients that they could do the work for themselves so that their clients would be more likely to believe that the work that the agency does would work for them as well. Yeah, I knew we wouldn't get far in this conversation before we got to drinking your own champagne or yes. eating your own dog food. And we've, we've covered both already. You know, <laughs> uh, Pete, what you guys are doing at Databox, you've been doing uh, a ton to help agencies and companies benchmark themselves uh, against their peers, right? And yep. this is another effort in that to look at how are agencies, uh, you guys surveyed more than 200 for this report. And one question, we didn't really prep for this, so I'm just going to throw it at you. And uh, maybe it's a softball, maybe it's a curveball. Do you think that this cobbler's kid has no shoes syndrome when it comes to agencies not investing in their own marketing, not being structured, not setting goals, doing all the things that they hate when clients do, as, as Carl really put it? Do you think it's worse among agencies for a certain reason? Or is it just kind of you know, if you benchmark it against other sorts of companies that aren't agencies, it's really just the same, but we just kind of expect more because, again, they're the cobbler's kid without shoes as opposed to, you know, just someone else without shoes. It's like the plumber that never fixes their own toilet, right? Or mm -hmm. the landscaper that doesn't cut their own grass. I think that's why we expect agencies to do it. If you look at the research, I'm not sure it's fair to say that they don't do marketing. I think it's fair to say that they're marketing through their own lens is not that effective for them. And so when we look at the report that Carl and my team put together, actually I had very little to do with this other than some of the survey design. But when you look at that report, we broke, we segmented the respondents out by smaller agencies. We call them emerging agencies, growth agencies, a little bigger, and then uh, higher performing agencies. I forget the term that, that you guys came up with, Carl, for that. But they tended to be broken out by employee size, which means they're broken out by by uh, revenue. And what we saw there is that as, as the small agencies were doing less marketing for the most part, which you would imagine, but it wasn't just that they weren't doing marketing, they had less of a plan. Uh, they had less of a formal budget. They don't have a formal budget, right? And so as the agency agencies got bigger, they had more of a plan, more of a budget, not all of them, but a higher percentage of them did. And so I think as an agency goes from a few employees to to 10, 15, 20, to 40, 35, 50, they do get more mature with their marketing. But even the smaller ones are doing things. They are blogging, they are doing content marketing, they are posting to social. Some of them do cold outreach even, even though they don't get a good ROI, they get a negative ROI they reported. So they're doing stuff. It just feels like, as Carl said, they're kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're trying different things. There was an interesting quote in the report from one of the respondents where they said, 
Uh, they get to use their own marketing as an experimental ground. But I think it's a little too experimental in some cases. They're just not rigorous <laughs> enough or consistent enough or persistent enough to figure something out. Yeah. Because when you look at their own reporting of whether they're getting an ROI from these activities, there's very few activities that they're actually getting a, that a large percentage of them are getting uh, an ROI from. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them self-reporting that they don't know, right? They don't know what their budget is. Yes. They're not quite sure what the ROI is, those sorts of things. You know, what you just said there of kind of using your internal efforts to experiment a bit, that can be, like you said, kind of here, there and everywhere and not necessarily a good thing. But I've also talked with some agencies where at least it sounds like that is working for them a little bit. I was just talking with some of the leadership team over at New Breed. They were just on a webinar with us in our Agency Life series talking about AI as a growth tool for agencies. And Chris, one of their leaders over there was saying, you know, here's kind of what we haven't really started using with clients and executing for them yet, but we've started down the road of experimentation with this AI tool or this application of AI in our own business development or in our own marketing. And we're probably going to take, you know, maybe one of these three things to to clients. So I think that that's, you're right to say there's opportunity for that, but there's, as with everything, a good and a bad way to do that. Yeah, it's, it's flip side. Like if they're experimenting with a blog or experimenting with LinkedIn, that unless they're just trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, like it shouldn't be an experiment. It should be, hey, clearly there's plenty of companies, even many other agencies who are successful on LinkedIn, successful on YouTube, successful with the blog. So you just need to figure out the formula and do it. And so I think what we saw in the data is that very few agencies say that they're getting a good a positive or a strong ROI from their blog, for example. If they're doing blogging and they don't have an ROI from it, then we should question whether they're doing the right things and why it's not working because clearly it will work for, and it has worked for many other agencies. So, but yeah, totally on AI, you got to be experimenting. We're all experimenting with AI right now. No one knows really exactly how to use it effectively where, where, uh, you know, there's certainly people out there using it effectively. I shouldn't say that, but there isn't like a tried and true method. So we all, you need to kind of experiment. You're not going to go find a course to, teach you exactly what to do. <laughs> you could find a course, but it's probably overpriced, right? Teach you what to do. It's fun for everything, yeah. but but you know, it's going to change next week. Yep, absolutely. It, it's all a lot easier if you have profit margins to invest in doing that research, or is it everyone is slammed in their schedule and, and you just don't have time? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, your competitors are going to do that and make the investment and do the R&D and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And it's a pretty good segue too, Carl. I'm glad you did that because it doesn't, I didn't even tee you up for that. As we get further, I definitely want to, as we said at the open, you guys have so much experience working with consulting, advising agencies on, you know, what they should be doing based on these realities. So far, we've been talking about what are the realities? What are they doing? What aren't they doing? What could they do better? Let's pause for a second and talk about the who, because there were some interesting data about Who's doing and who's in charge of, uh, as you guys say, the self-marketing efforts for the agency? Carl, why don't you speak to that a little bit and uh, share with us some of the data and some of the insights from that section of the report? We asked two questions to get get at that. One was who serves as the CMO for the agency's own marketing, as the strategic marketing head? And then we also asked, and that was to, you could pick one for that. And then we also asked who's involved in day-to-day marketing, and that could be multiple people. The owner, the marketing head, billable team members, non-billable team members, so on. 
And we found across the entire group of the, the agencies that responded, 71% of them reported that the founder was the CMO. Now, I, as Pete mentioned, as agencies get bigger, that percentage drops. But even for agencies with above 25 or above 50, a significant portion reported that the owner was still the CMO. And even if you look you know, at, at who's involved day to day, the owner often is involved, even at larger agencies, about a quarter of them said that they were involved in day-to-day -day marketing. That could mean a lot of things. That could include doing a speaking engagement, uh, but it also could include more tactical things too. Yeah, that's really interesting that... <laughs> hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like... The first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. The owner, founder, maybe doing too much, really lines up that stat that you just shared, 71% of them, where they would identify that the owner or founder is responsible for marketing at the end of the day. In our state of agency operations report that we released here several weeks back, we found that 46% of agency owners and their leadership team members were working more than 40 hours per week. So this, this consistent theme of owners, founders, and their leadership team being spread too thin, trying to do too much, burning the candle at both ends, we're just going to keep going with all those analogies today. It rings true in the, in the research that you guys are doing as well as what we've seen. And it's something I, I really enjoyed from uh, Danielle Photo a couple of weeks back. She was on the show and she really encouraged agency owners as a way to kind of mitigate that a bit, get your team involved in what she called structured volunteering to get involved in the marketing. It sounds like some of that is, is already happening. Pete, anything else you wanted to touch on on who's doing the marketing and kind of what you see in conversation as well as what you saw from the data? Sure. We should be fair to these owners. I think the data shows from this report that when they have 25 or more employees, that 43% of the time they have a head of marketing who's not the owner founder. Nice. So it nearly cut it in half once they reach that threshold. To Carl's point though, 41%, the owner is still the CMO, right? Still acting as the CMO. So I think... There's some point, obviously, where it makes sense to dedicate a head to marketing the agency. It seems based on our data, that's around the 20 employee mark. I would argue that it maybe makes sense to do that earlier. Why would you say that? What I've seen is the sooner an agency commits to marketing themselves, 
the better. And I'm even seeing a trend of solo marketing consultants being able to build really profitable businesses and spend 40% of the time marketing. And it's because they're spending that time marketing that they're able to secure those consulting clients. And so I don't think it's ever too soon. Uh, I do think that agencies often make the mistake of trying to market to everyone or to a really large addressable market, uh, which they'll never even be able to serve effectively, let alone reach. And so as a result, their marketing ends up looking like every other marketing agency and therefore it becomes ineffective. It's less about the tactics they're employing, but it's more about the fact that they sound and look like everyone else. And so the agencies, as well as the consultants that I see that are having really good success with their own marketing are the ones that have really figured out how to be unique, whether that's picking a market or picking a service or an ideal world, picking a market, picking a problem, and then developing unique services for that problem, for that market. Those consultants and agencies crush it on the marketing side. And so going back to being fair to these agencies, I think there is clearly effort putting in. I think the part that they might be missing is the the hard part and the decisions that they have to make around focus, who they're selling to, what problem they're solving, how they're solving it, as opposed to just the tactics, like whether we have a blog, whether we post on social, et cetera. And so I think that's, that's where I would counsel agencies, regardless of your size, is that you should definitely be marketing. Start with your strategy first, who are you serving, how are you serving them, and then start worrying about which channels you're going to use. There's another question we asked in the survey around their market focus. And we found, I think it was like less than 20%, way less than 20% are focusing on a single market. And that the majority of the agencies are focused by the services that they offer, offer. But then when you ask them what services they offer, it's a pretty broad range of services. So in effect, they're not, they're not focused. And then another survey that we're currently running, we have about 100 respondents for, uh, we found that 80% of agencies know that if they focus in on a niche market, that their agency will be more successful. Yet very few actually do it, according to this, the survey we ran here with Carl, right? Um, is it the same old fear there, Pete, of it shrinking the addressable market so they're giving up on opportunity? That, like, I don't want to just blaze past that, that stat, right? It, there's so many excuses and there's so many valid reasons that they have. I think it's hard, hard to, once you have success with different types of clients, it's hard to pick one. <laughs> it's like picking a child that you're going to you know, prefer. And then... A lot of agencies will say, well, we learn things in this industry that we can apply in this industry. And then a lot of agencies will say, well, I don't want to focus in on industry. What if I focused in on uh, mortgages and real estate in 2007? Then I wouldn't be in business right now, right? So there's that excuse. But I do think since most agencies know it, I think the challenge is they don't know how to transition. Most of them think that it's like, we're going to pick one. We're going to change our homepage. We're going to start turning away everybody else. And that's not the steps that you take. The first step you take is pick a market, build a list of prospects in that market, study that market, do research with that market, find something compelling that you can help them with, publish content around that, and you know, build your funnel that way. And do that one market for 12 months. And if you do it right, you will get some concentration of your client base being in that market. And I just don't think most agencies haven't thought through a safe way to to make that transition. And therefore, they're kind of just stuck not making the decision. Yeah, I would completely agree. Carl, I want to open the floor to you because I saw you nodding as Pete was talking about. That's not the way to make that transition. 
And I, I think he actually followed it up with some good advice. What would you add on there, sir? Well, people sometimes ask me as an agency advisor, does their agency need to specialize? And it's like, no, you don't need to specialize. But among my hundreds of clients all over the world, the ones who specialize tend to be more profitable and less stressed. So if you want that, higher profits and less stress, something to consider. But to to build on, on Pete, your, your advice about making the transition, you know, most agencies are picking a specialization in a vacuum. You know, one exercise to consider for everyone listening is take a look at your client list and which have been the clients that have been your best clients. Best can be a range of things. It could be their revenue, it could be their profitability. It could be which are the clients you most like working with, which are ones most likely to refer you, things like that. Which ones have you driven the best results for? Yeah. Right? Sometimes we just look at profitability and we look at which ones we like working with, but we we fail to take it to the end of the road, right? Because yes. then you could, if you leave off that last point, then maybe you do have some success going and finding other agencies who are willing to spend and they're nice to work with, but then they don't stick around because you're not really generating meaningful results. And so now you're back at square one. So sorry for the aside, but I had to add on there because you had a great list already going, Carl. It's a holistic picture. But what you may find is that there is a cluster or two that could be a future specialization. For instance, I worked with a client on the the East Coast who had a particular focus. It wasn't a full-on specialization. And I said, who are your five best clients? And we talked a bit about what best would mean. And uh, he made a list and he found that four out of the five weren't in the specialization. Turns out, he basically added a second specialization accidentally. And so he ultimately, you know, my advice was then helping him expand that to make it more intentional. I think intentionality is a big theme from the survey. As agencies grow, and also as we see as agencies are more profitable, they tend to be more structured in their marketing in terms of people, in terms of time allocation, budgeting, cash allocation, and things like that. So, you know, if you're trying to make things better, structure alone isn't going to fix everything, but it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And it, again, correlates to the research report, the state of agency operations that I mentioned earlier. In that, we didn't quite see the same correlation that Carl, you and Pete have both touched on. It sounds like as you go up in both revenue and employee size, you're seeing a little bit more structure in marketing. We broke down in the report that we did, we'll link to both of these, by the way, in the show notes, if you've been leaning forward and wondering like, okay, am I going to get access to both of these sets of data? You will, absolutely. But one of the, we broke it down with our uh, help of our friends at Audience Audit, have to give them a shout out, into three segments, overwhelmed, aspiring, and confident. And that was really the, the agency leaders, how are they feeling about the operations of their agency? And we didn't really see a correlation between the size of agency or the age of agency or the the revenue as you go up in any of those three categories. We didn't see more and more confident. We saw overwhelmed across all three of those. We saw aspiring and confident across all three. But it is interesting that you're seeing more of that that correlation on the marketing side as, as they move up in size. They are choosing to invest more and allocate more resources, which is something I, I do want to dig into, Carl. Uh, it seems like you might have had a thought on something I was just saying there, though. I mean, ultimately, every agency is unique. You know, I've had plenty of clients with, say, 40 to 50 headcount. We're like, 
gosh, it was great back when we had only 12 people, only 15 people. They may also be forgetting some of the downsides they had. So I think a key with all of this is what is the agency you want? Uh, there's an article recently about a 500-person agency acquired by an IT services firm. They didn't disclose the amount, but it was 500 people, so it was probably a healthy figure. Uh, the founder had previously said, we will be independent forever. Because if you want to get acquired, maybe you can say that in a, you know, in a news story several years earlier kind of thing. But you know, if your goal is to build a large agency and get acquired, that's a different situation than if you've decided you want to run a lifestyle business and you're not looking to sell, but you want to spend your time on the things you enjoy most while getting at market or ideally above market compensation. Pick the business you want and optimize for that, not what everyone around you is trying to do, but that may not be right for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that actually brings me back to something I was going to mention there as I kind of lost my train of thought as we were talking about the difference in the correlation, it comes back to the intentionality because we did see in our report, those who, you know, had the systems and the processes and the documentation to support operational efficiency, there were more of those folks who were in the confident group where they were tracking time, they had a good handle on their utilization rate. And so it wasn't necessarily about the size, but it was about the same thing that you're calling out here, the intentionality. And I I love that you bring up the, you know, building to sell or a lifestyle business. I've heard agency owners speak with derision about either side of that coin, right? But that depends on where you're at, you know, pick, pick that side and, you know, build both in your marketing and your operations for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, the next thing I wanted to talk about, guys, is something we've alluded to a little bit that I think a lot of agency owners are going to be interested in is what the heck are my peers doing? Where are they investing in marketing? How much are they investing? And where are they seeing good traction and, and ROI? So I'll throw this out to both of you, whoever wants to kick us off and talk about some of the data here that I think will be really intriguing for a lot of our listeners. I'll mention a few data points and then, okay. and then you share further. Uh, so one, in terms of percentage of revenue invested in marketing, two-thirds of the respondents said they invested at least 3% of the revenue. So, you know, you're getting a million in revenue or 10 million in revenue, what have you, 3% of that going back into the marketing budget. People usually were not including labor in that. Of course, labor is its own significant expense. But some were spending more. Some were reporting 10%. Some were reporting 25% or more. There was a small portion. I think some of that ties to your growth goals. You know, are you trying to grow 10% a year? Are you trying to grow 20%? or trying to grow 50 or 100%, make sure you're investing accordingly. We also looked at the ROI. So we asked, you know, based on various activities, and we listed a lot of them, the highest ROI activity by far, uh, the most prevalent was referrals, which makes sense. I mean, that's how a lot of agencies get started, you know, by the owner or owner's referral network. But of course, that has some scalability challenges. Um, after that, a smaller portion said word of mouth was, was a positive factor. And then it kind of falls off from there. So out of maybe 20 different marketing activities, only one client referrals was in the 70% dirt 
saying a very high ROI, and it just kind of falls off from there. Hey there, Logan from Teamwork.com here. Quick pause in today's episode to let you know about an upcoming webinar you might find valuable, especially if your agency is a HubSpot solutions partner. On Wednesday, December 13th, I'll be joined by three elite HubSpot partners for a live session, Lead to Loyalty, How to Optimize Your Client Lifecycle with HubSpot and Teamwork.com. Each of these highly successful HubSpot solution partners will be showcasing a specific use case for the new Teamwork.com workflows integration with HubSpot. They'll show how you can leverage this new integration to optimize your client lifecycle to minimize client churn and how you can bring these same solutions to your clients to meet their exact same needs. If you want to hear and see how these elite partners are leveraging this new integration between HubSpot and Teamwork.com and how you can do the same, join us December 13th for this next live session. To register, Simply go to teamwork.com slash agency life and look for the lead to loyalty under the latest content section just below the header. Again, that's teamwork.com slash agency life, and you'll find the webinar right below the header, or simply use the link in the description of this episode. All right, let's get back to the rest of today's conversation on agency life. So out of maybe 20 different marketing activities, only one client referrals was in the 70% saying a very high ROI and it just kind of falls off from there. It's really interesting because, and then I want to turn it over to you, Pete. It seems like, as Pete has mentioned a couple of times, we got to give agency owners some, some credit here as much as we can say, oh, they're the cobbler's kid with no shoes. They're doing a lot of things and they're, they're wearing a lot of hats. They're working a lot of hours and they are doing some things right. They're investing in, you know, some of those organic channels that are very high ROI, but as you point out, Carl, oftentimes they hit not only scalability issues, but they hit a a ceiling sooner, especially as times get tougher as they've been in 2023 versus 22 and 21. So there's a few thoughts rolling around in my head as you were sharing some of those data points. Pete, over to you in studio, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, just to add on to that. So some of those tactics that they are employing at a relatively high rate are SEO or optimizing their website, content slash inbound marketing, social proof. So making sure they have testimonials and case studies, things like that. Portfolio is ranked fairly highly as being important and getting a good ROI for them. And then you got speaking gigs, their own blog. Some of them are doing cold outreach, some doing link building, some doing some social network stuff and some doing email marketing. So there's representation of all of this stuff on here. But as Carl said, when we asked them, like rate the ROI of these activities, most of these activities only, let's just say on average here, around 20 to 10 to 20% of them said they get a very high ROI from it. So a really small fraction of the agencies that are investing in these things are getting a, a really, a very high ROI. A decent number of them are getting some ROI. Uh, and then when we, we asked if they get a negative ROI in some of it, a lot, there was a, a good number of people who said they get a negative ROI on cold outreach, on content marketing, as well as link building. So I think there's, there's just not a really strong ROI that most of them are getting from these activities. That's really interesting. 
to me, Pete, because I heard you mention the negative ROI to cold outreach, which mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise me that you would call that out as I've known you for a bit and follow your content. And you're, right. as you mentioned, some people call you grumpy on LinkedIn. I would not say that. I say you are encouraging and candid about, you know, bad cold outreach while offering decent suggestions from someone who's been there and done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it surprises me that you just added negative ROI that some agencies are seeing with content marketing. So in in their inbound efforts, they're seeing some of that as well. What's kind of an indication or some of your thoughts on that? Because it kind of surprises me a little. Yeah, I think we're I think we've moved into a world of like haves and have nots uh, when it comes to agency marketing. And the agencies that, I, again, the agencies I see being really successful are the ones that have found that niche. They've they found something that they can own. And I'm not, these aren't just little agencies. Like there's 50 person agencies that have found a niche and they're crushing it. And their marketing works really well. Uh, in fact, they have to invest in less marketing in order to get, you know, to grow their business. Didn't you call out an agency kind of that fits this mold? I think it was maybe Joe Sullivan and his team at Gorilla 76. Uh, recently, yeah, Joe Sullivan's a great a great example from Gorilla Seventy Six. He runs an agency, does branding and positioning, content marketing, demand gen work for manufacturing companies. So they're really focused in on who they serve, and they're also really focused in on how they serve them, uh, what they do, what services they're willing to offer and not willing to offer, and then how they execute them and the sequence that they execute them. And they produce great ROI for their clients and and their marketing. They actually invest quite a bit. They have a handful of podcasts targeting different types of manufacturing roles. Uh, So they have like a a podcast for CEOs of manufacturing, a podcast for marketers of manufacturing firms. They do a decent amount on social, et cetera. They're really a good example. Another one you probably know is Chris Walker from Refined Labs, uh, focusing on SaaS. He really identified some challenges that SaaS companies have in their traditional marketing. I shouldn't say traditional, the digital marketing playbook. And he identified... Uh, he created solutions for them. And so not only does he pick a market, he found some problems that are prevalent in, in that market and he devised new ways to uh, get around those or still be successful in market, uh, offering marketing services that are more successful than the stuff that he discovered doesn't work as well. But there's, I, have, I could go on for like an hour or two just giving out examples of that. The point is that I think I've seen the opposite. I've seen agencies that aren't differentiated well where their traffic, despite their consistent effort at marketing, their traffic is actually dropping. Their lead volume is dropping. As Carl knows, and you know, I have a group of uh, 90-some HubSpot partners, top-tier HubSpot partners, so Platinum, Diamond, and, and Elite partners. So these are like the best of the best of HubSpot partners. They're in a benchmark group that I created, and I can see that their traffic has dropped for 11 out of the last 12 months. And the, the the one spike they got didn't account for the drops. Like it just it went right back to, to where they were. So, and that is despite their effort. Like I know that most of them are putting in effort at their content marketing and their website traffic's just dropping. And so we're just seeing that that playbook work less and less and less. The agency has a market, has a niche, has a specialized offering, understands the problems in that market, has a point of view about um, those problems and can share that. And we're also seeing much more traction from agencies who are directly interacting with their clients and prospects on social platforms. So instead of sitting there and doing some keyword research, writing a blog post and hoping it ranks or doing link building so it ranks, what these agencies are doing is they are starting a podcast. They are running a research report. 
uh, in their market, right? They are launching and building out their YouTube channel. They're very active on LinkedIn uh, and they're leveraging the reach that those social platforms have in order to get their reputation out to their network's network. And that's the playbook. It's have your market and use social social channels to talk directly to, mm-hmm. to your prospects, but also engage your prospects and clients in conversation. Yeah, it's the engagement. It's the term I've, I've heard you talk about, collaborative growth. That it might apply for SaaS companies as well. I think it it applies and is even more potential low hanging fruit for for agencies because they can move quicker. Everybody's hands are already in marketing, right? They already have kind of that internal collaborative mindset when it comes to getting things done on the service side as well as marketing themselves. And they have deep expertise. They are the practitioners of marketing, right? They it's not like me where I talk to my marketing team twice a week and learn a few things and I can share it back. They're actually in the trenches doing the work, seeing the results. And so they are the practitioners and just taking the practitioners and getting them out on social, I think is a is the path forward for agency marketing. I don't have data from our survey to back that up because I don't think there's enough agencies doing it, but I have had hundreds of conversations with agencies and other types of business, to your point, who are doing this and it's and it's working well and they're measuring it and they're improving it over time. I love that you said that. I mean, it's in line with what we see, you know, across organizations. I mean, you've seen kind of my evolution in my role here at Teamwork.com, Pete, going from head of partnerships into an evangelism role that is really all about how do I, how do we collaborate with our internal team members as well as external influencers and partners and collaborate with them to get expertise out into the market? I would say agencies have an advantage versus a lot of SaaS companies is that knowledge isn't over here in the marketing team or over here in the CS org or over here in the professional services team. It's kind of more evenly distributed throughout the agency so that if you can tap those people, you can get them involved. You don't have people who are willing to get involved, but don't have the expertise to bring to bear. And the last thing I wanted to call out and what you were saying is you're not saying stop SEO, stop blogging, stop, you know, these channels and start podcast and LinkedIn and YouTube because of the channels. You were talking about the marketing strategy in collaboration and engagement, as opposed to uh, just putting stuff out there that you created in a vacuum and then just hoping, you know, that people find it and, and come back to you, right? Yeah. The internet doesn't need another how-to article on topic XYZ <laughs> that comes from your exactly. brain and your 20 years of experience. Like there's, they're all, that's all out there. There's literally hundreds of versions of that article, right? So what the world is yearning for is, is learning and how to apply this stuff and learning from the stories of other people, learning from the data and the experiences of other people. And so the best way to market now is to kind of market out in the open where you're having interviews, you're learning from people, you're sharing what you're doing, you're sharing how it's working, you're sharing what your customers or their clients are doing, you're sharing as much as you can about how that's working. And that's what will allow you to, to break through. Uh, and make that those marketing dollars, those limited marketing dollars that these agencies have go a lot further. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We interviewed 20 plus agencies in Boston at Inbound this year. And, you know, uh, the number one answer of where they would spend an extra 10 grand a month was investing in their own marketing. But as I said in in that episode and since on the show here, that's probably not showing up, right? The limited marketing dollars is still going to be a reality in 2024 and 2025. So what are you going to do differently? And I love what you're saying there, Pete. 
So we asked like the follow-up question. So at the, at that inbound conference, you asked, what would you spend if you had an extra 10 grand? What would you spend? And they all said marketing or a good percentage said marketing. So we asked the follow-up question in this survey, which is if you had 10 grand to spend on your marketing, what would you spend it on? And so I think, I, I don't want to put Carl on the spot, but I think he knows the answer. No, I have heard. So extra $10,000 every month, how would you spend it? And the number one response was hiring employees, your freelancers dedicated to our own marketing. And then after that, some other things included digital advertising, events and conferences, either to attend or sponsor, uh, and SEO. And then it kind of falls off from there. But, you know, it's all it's about the people. I, I would say for anyone in an agency leadership role, one of the things you need to decide is what are you critical to do yourself versus what should your team be doing? Uh, something I talk about in my upcoming agency leadership intensive. What are the $1,000 an hour activities that the agency founder or CEO should keep doing versus where should they get their team's help? There are some things, maybe it's thought leadership where the owner should still be out there doing that, but make sure you're focusing on what you want to do and what is producing and get the team's help for things where maybe it's going to produce, but you don't want to be the one to do it. Someone has to get it. I love that. Name of the game. I love that you guys asked that follow-up question. Again, the power of collaboration, right? As opposed to our our research being done through this podcast here on Agency Life and our operations report and the data box slash SACUS and company uh, report sitting over here on agency marketing, bringing them together are allowing new insights to come to this community. So I just have to, as meta as that is to, to call out here, I have to call it out here. You know, I think Pete already kind of answered the question of, okay, first question that we asked here on the show, if you had an extra 10 grand to invest in your agency, where would you put it? Nearly 40% said in marketing. You guys asked the follow-up question. If you had 10 grand a month to invest in marketing, what would you do? You would hire someone either on staff or freelancer dedicated to just doing marketing activities. It, it sounds like Pete kind of answered the question to the follow-up of what would you have that person do? Probably start a podcast do research, engage on social and where the intersection of those three uh, with that collaborative approach in mind come together. Carl, what would you add to that or do different to that follow-up question of what would you have that person or people doing if you were able to add more headcount to be dedicated to marketing for your agency? There's also something about consistency and, and monitoring the results you're getting. For instance, Content marketing has been a key part of my marketing at Sakis and Company, including hundreds of articles on my website, various other things, uh, several books, and also then tying to a newsletter. So the goal is someone finds something they're like, wow, that's great. Sign up, you can get more. With that email newsletter, uh, in over 10 years, the email has not gone out as planned, I think, three times in 10 years. Two were technical issues. And one, I was in the hospital with appendicitis. And you know what? Shame on me. I should have had that pre-schedule well in advance. Come on, Carl. Yeah. You know, almost everyone on my team touches on marketing in some way. I think it's that important. And, you know, for everyone listening, how important is your own marketing? And if you're the owner, you know, odds are your agency is your number one or number two financial asset. You and your family are depending on the business to succeed and your team and your clients. So it's worth the investment. Get it right. I love that. 
Well, we're going to round it out with opportunity for each of you guys to give a shout out to someone who's impacted you, a recurring question we always ask at the close of every episode on Agency Life. But before we do that, I want to make sure you guys have one more opportunity to give, you know, one piece of actionable advice to the agency owners and leaders who are listening to this before they go dig into some of the data and the assets that we'll link to in the show notes here. But Pete, I'll kick it over to you first. If you're an agency owner who's been listening to all this, they hear the good, the bad, the opportunity. What would you say would be the one thing you would recommend them action on, let's say between now and and the end of the year, if they're listening to this right when it's released, it's, you know, prep for 2024 time. What would you encourage them to take that first step with? Come up with a plan, which involves some kind of consistent activity. To Carl's point, I think he nailed it. I interviewed an agency owner the other day and she committed to publishing one TikTok uh, video and one LinkedIn post every day from here to the end of the year, like for 60 days, she did that. You know, it really worked for her. It helped her get her message out. Now she had already written hundreds of very specific articles and she's very focused in on a niche. She has a, a really good following, but she that she used that she she's a bit like $300,000 per employee. So a really profitable firm, very small firm. But uh, that's, I think my advice is just pick something that you're going to be consistent about. I think leaning into uh, research and, and thought leadership is, is the right way to go uh, for marketing these days. I love it. Carl, over to you, sir. There are a lot of big things you could do. I, I got a message the other day from an agency and I met at a conference a bit over a year ago. And she said, looking at the note that I, you pushed me to tighten our position. We spent all year doing so, made a big difference in leads. That's a great thing to do, you know, over, over the course of the year. But here's one tactical thing you can do in just a few minutes. Go to your blog or your other content and think about your ideal buyer. For instance, I had a client who focuses on CMOs. That's their primary buyer based on their enterprise agency services. And on a call, I said, let's look at your 10 latest blog posts. And are those targeted to a CMO? And I looked through and only two out of the 10 were CMO focused. The others were fine, but they were more about what the CMO staff would read. And I said, change that going forward. You don't need to delete what you've got. You can keep what you have, but shift that going forward. So in five minutes, take a look at your last 10 blog posts. Uh, Do they focus on your target market? If not, work between now and the end of the year, or if you're listening to this in 2024, say over the next month, uh, to change that. Good stuff. Well, thank you, guys. We want to round it out with the closing question we always have here on Agency Life. Pete will just keep ping-ponging. Who's one person you'd like to give a shout out to who has had a positive impact on your career, whether they're an agency owner or it ties to your work with agencies or not? The floor is open for you there to give a shout out. I can't remember. I think I was on here before and you asked me the same question. I can't remember who I answered, but today I'm going to mix it up a little. Tamara Omarovic, who is on the marketing team at Databox, uh, actually leads out our content marketing and SEO and our co-marketing research that we do, research that we do with partners like we did with Carl. So Carl worked with uh, Tamara's team to design the survey Get, recruit respondents, do analysis, and publish publish the report. And so they're doing that right now for like 50 partners of ours. And so I have to give her a shout out for handling that volume of work for the company and the kind of results that it gets us on all of our channels because this research 
gets us on podcasts. It allows us to make waves on LinkedIn. It allows us to attract links to our content. So like she's doing just an amazing job. So we wouldn't be here today in this podcast if it wasn't for Tamara and her efforts in making this happen. So give her a shout out. Fantastic. We don't always do this, but we'll definitely find Tamara's LinkedIn profile and put that in the show notes because I think it's applicable today, right? Uh, If you want a marketer to connect with on the topic of investing in your own marketing as an agency leader, you want to learn from those, partner with those that are doing it well. So we'll link there so that if you're listening to this, you can connect with a great marketer that Pete just shouted out on his team. Yeah, no recruiting or that. Yeah. (laughs) Carl, over to you. Let's give a shout out. Hey. My work as a consultant is inspired in part by my grandfather. I'm a second generation consultant. He was a business professor for 40 some years and management consultant. He was, unlike me, not a specialist. So he focused on organizational behavior. I guess that was the functional specialty, but with big companies like GE, Nestle, Caterpillar, and smaller companies like Lumberyards and things like that. And, uh, you know, would hear his stories about, about working with companies. And, you know, I came across some of his research from the 1950s where he found that employees wish their manager would treat them less as a worker and more as a person. And it's like decades later, that's still a challenge. So I like that the work that I'm doing is helping agency owners work less and earn more. But I also like having been an agency employee that I'm making agencies a better place to work. I love that. I sound like he was definitely ahead of his time for sure. So that is definitely a good shout. Carl, if anyone listening to this is unfamiliar with you, not connected with you, what would be the best way for them to uh, to reach out and find more of the resources from you and your team? I have hundreds of blog posts available at sakasandcompany.com. That's S-A-K-A-S, and D, the word company.com. And if you're looking to work less and learn more, you can check out the book available on Amazon, various formats worldwide. And you can get all of the links for that and a sample chapter and a workbook and other things at worklessearnmorebook.com. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Pete, same question to you to round it out today, sir. Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. Give me a follow on LinkedIn, Peter Caputa on LinkedIn. Uh, If you want to check out some of the research, more of the research that we do around performance benchmarks of companies, as well as business process benchmarks like like this survey that we did, go to uh, benchmarks.databox.com and sign up for a free account um, to get access to loads and loads of data uh, that will you can use in your own content. You can use, of course, to inform your own decisions. And if you feel so inclined, can contribute to the data so that it's a better asset for everybody. And it's all completely free. Absolutely. We'll link to that in the show notes in the episode description here as well, because I've I've seen and I know there are a lot of HubSpot uh, solution partners who listen to this show who might not yet be a part of one of those benchmark groups. One that you alluded to earlier, Pete, there are definitely some very specific groups yeah. that might help you out if you are a regular listener of the show and you are an agency, especially in the HubSpot ecosystem. So thanks for calling that out, Pete. And Pete, Carl, yes. thank you for a great conversation had high expectations going into this one and you did not disappoint. So thank you both for being our guest today on Agency Life. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.